my final announcement was that uh, towards the end of this month, maybe at the beginning of December, we're thinking about reinstating morning tea in a sort of COVID-safe way. If this is something that concerns you, please talk to me afterwards. But we think it's, it's getting to the point at which that might be done safely and manageably um, in our current environment. So that was my final announcement. Eugene Peterson, a theologian and an author, he writes this. The world is no friend of grace. The spiritual atmosphere in which we live erodes faith, dissipates hope, and corrupts love. The quote is on the overhead. Do you think these words ring true? The world is no friend of grace. The spiritual atmosphere in which we live erodes faith, dissipates hope, and corrupts love. If they are true, what is it about the spiritual atmosphere in which we live that is so eroding to faith and to hope and to love? What is it? I mean, there are so many potential answers to that question, but one answer that you mightn't expect is, I think, a powerful underlying reason that discipleship to Jesus is so difficult in our current environment. A public intellectual and author in America, Gore Vidal, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, Gore Vidal, he puts his finger on the cause that is making discipleship to Jesus so difficult. He says it's today's passion for the immediate and the casual. Today's passion for the immediate and the casual. And these words were written in 1977, before iPhones, before the internet, before internet shows. In so many ways, we're enculturated, enculturated to want things instantly, whether it be the Kindle book that I just bought or the iTunes movie that I just purchased or the skill that I just began learning through YouTube. We want things instantly and we're people who like to be connected to others casually. This isn't just seen in romantic relationships. In many parts of the world, being part of a church means signing a church covenant, a church membership covenant, which formalizes a member's commitment to God and each other. And maybe the degree to which we're uncomfortable with that idea tells us something about our own love for the casual. Uh, uh, the Japanese have a word for um, a long-term and determined commitment to a skill, and it's called shokunin. Now, I'm not sure if that is pronounced correctly at all, uh, but when I hear it, it reminds me of how different their mindset is to at least my mindset. Shokunin explains why it takes approximately 10 years of apprenticeship to become a qualified cutter of sashimi. Shokunin is um, the mastery of one's profession. It's not done instantly, it's not done casually. And wanting things instantly goes against the grain of the Christian life. So as Jill said, we begin a new sermon series today, and it'll be a big change of pace. We've asked some big, deep questions in the past seven weeks in our, in our previous series. Now we're taking one psalm at a time, and they're short psalms. And so it'll be a change of pace. And the, the focus of the next seven weeks will be on Christian discipleship. And as Jill said, the, the series is... is um, title around the, the title of the psalm our series is called ascent songs for the journey 
because the psalms that we'll be reading over the next seven weeks are all songs of ascent. As Jill said, that's because each of the major festivals in Israel, the Israelites would go from their distant towns and make their way up. They'd ascend to Jerusalem, which was on a hill, and they'd ascend to the, the, the highest part in Jerusalem, which was where the temple was built. There were psalms of ascent. There were a pilgrimage moving from the outer parts of the country to where God had promised to dwell, to God's presence. And the short journey that the pilgrims make, the Israelite pilgrims make, is a picture in miniature of what the experience is for the person of faith. To be a person of faith, to be a worshipper of God, it is to be on a lifetime journey. And there are two metaphors that we often use to describe this this journey, one more frequently than the other. The first is, um, to be a person of faith is to be a pilgrim. We don't use this one very frequently. But as followers of Jesus, we realize that this world is not our home. And we've set out for the Father's house. And the path that will lead us there is the way of Jesus. We're pilgrims. We're on a journey. To be a Christian is to be a pilgrim. And that was so concretely captured by the Israelites making their way three times a year from their hometown to the temple. But not only pilgrims, that's the first metaphor, but the more frequently used metaphor um, in our circles is that we're disciples. To be a disciple is to be a person who spends their life apprenticed to Jesus. Disciple means being an apprentice. We're learning how to live from Jesus And just as an apprentice carpenter, for instance, is learning how to work with wood from their trainer, we're in a lifelong apprentice relationship with our master, learning how to live from him. This is what it is to be a Christian. And so we've called this series Ascent Songs for for the Journey because they teach us so much about the uh, the way for the pilgrim disciple. And do you see how the metaphors of pilgrim and apprentice or disciple push so firmly against our culture's passion for the immediate and the casual? To be a pilgrim is to be on a lifelong journey. To be a disciple is to be committed to with all of our lives, learning from Jesus. And so growing in faith, hope and love is a lifelong thing. And because that's the case, I think it's fair to say that the degree to which we desire the immediate and the casual will be the degree to which our faith, hope, and love will be eroded. Again, from Eugene Peterson, from his book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is a book that is is giving us a bit of direction in this sermon series. He takes takes words from Friedrich Nietzsche. I've not pronounced that well at all. But he takes words from him to title the book. So the the title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and Nietzsche says, A long obedience in the same direction has always resulted in the long run in something which has made life worth living. The words on the screen. Just as a skill is brought into clear definition with ongoing application, our lives are brought into definition with an obedience in the same direction. That is... 
as we commit to discipleship in the long term, our faith, hope and love will slowly become more clearly defined in all that we do. And Nietzsche's point is that's a life worth living. So we're going to jump into the psalm now. And of course, with three parts, where discipleship begins, what it requires, and the direction it takes. So where discipleship begins. The journey to Jerusalem begins in a distant land. And so the psalm of ascent begins a long way from home. The psalmist is almost homesick in the psalm, having settled amongst strangers. So look at verse 1. In my distress, I cry to the Lord that he may answer me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. This is where discipleship begins. It begins spiritually in a similar way to how stories of so many migrants begin. The Immigration Museum in Victoria is dedicated to telling the stories of Australian migrants and refugees. And each person's story is unique, but they all follow a similar pattern. And where they begin is too dangerous to call home. That's where the story begins. He grew up in Cambodia, and he came to Australia with his family in the 1980s. He describes what it was like living in Cambodia as a farmer in the late 1970s. He describes bullets flying through the house, and he says that he remembers his brothers going down to the river to play, but one day one of their friends was blown up by a landmine. After that, he says, we were told not to go there. Pap and his family eventually began their escape one night as part of Cambodians fleeing the killing fields genocide. The stories of migrants and refugees help us understand this psalm. So look at Psalm uh, verses 5 and 6. Woe is me that I am an alien in Meshech, that I must live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. So Meshech is a, is a far-off tribe, thousands of kilometers from, from Palestine in, in southern Russia. And Kedar is a wandering Bedouin tribe of barbaric reputation among Israel's borders. They represent the strange and the hostile. So if I was to paraphrase the cry in verses 5 and 6, it would be something like, I live in the midst of wild savages. This world is not my home and I want out. And notice that the violence against the psalmist doesn't come in the form of bullets and landmines, but lies and untruths. This is a common thread in the Psalms. The violence of lying lips versus the stability and freedom that comes with the truth. The Psalm prior to this one, Psalm 119, is a celebration of the true, trustworthy, stable and light-shedding word of God. And from that, lives of stability can be built. So think of the, the flourishing tree in Psalm 1. Flourishing by the water. But lies and untruths, at a societal and a personal level, they're antithetical to human freedom in a similar way to flying bullets through the night. After all, Jesus is the one who says that the evil one is the one who speaks lies, and when he does, he's speaking his native language. 
previously. The psalmist here in this psalm has had a felt experience of this and finally he cries out at the end of verse verse 3. No, verse 2. At the beginning of verse 2, he says, Deliver me, O Lord. And this is where discipleship begins. With a sense that things are not all right as they are and they're not getting any better. It's the prod that gets things going. We live in a world of lies. And I think I can say that um, especially having been through the recent election now, and that makes more sense than usual. We live in a world of untruths. They're thrown into public life. They seem pretty harmless when they're thrown into public life, that, but they make addressing the most important issues nearly impossible. We live in a world of conflict where people from different political persuasions so often turn against each other, where wars continue to ravage around the globe. This is our world. Eugene Peterson again. A person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to be fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. This is where discipleship begins. It begins with a cry, deliver me, Lord. And that's where the psalm begins. So point one, where discipleship begins. Point two, what discipleship requires. So at this point, it might be easy to think that discipleship is all about being delivered from the dark, evil world out there as if we're the pure and untainted, and that is not at all true. We had three youth, youths baptised at 6pm a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now. And as they were baptised, we, the congregation, said, sorry, these words were said by me, me or the, not me, no, I was the bishop. He said, those who, were, who are to be baptised must declare their allegiance to Christ and their rejection of all that is evil, the devil and all his works, the empty display and false values of the world and the sinful desires of the flesh. So we're not <clears throat> the pure and untainted. The world is in all of us, and we might call that the sinful desires of the flesh. That part of us that wants to reach out and find a home in the world. So Psalm 120 is the decision <clears throat> to take one way over another. From complaining about how bad things are, to pursuing all things good. The first step towards God is a step away from the empty display and false values of the world. Which is to say, discipleship requires repentance. And repentance is saying no to the world, the false display and false values of the world, the empty display. And our desires that pull us towards that. And yes, to the Lord. That's what, that's what repentance is. Repentance is so crucial to the Christian life. It's as important as practicing scales is if you're a musician. Musician, It's as important as keeping your head still if you're a batsman or batswoman. It's as important 
as Adobe is for the graphic designer, is it Adobe Illustrator. Repentance is just so central to the Christian life. Repentance is the psalmist deciding to begin the journey to Jerusalem from where they are to God's presence in Jerusalem. But it's not only for the beginning of the journey, it's a lifelong habit. It's what keeps us on the path, going in the right direction, and it's what will keep us getting to the end. And repentance is always a practical word. It's never just emotions. It's always a practical word. It's all about, it's all about getting back on the path. So, for instance, it's about saying no to the idea that life's ultimate purpose is, is working a job, living a cozy life, and building an investment portfolio, and putting your spiritual lives on the side. That's not true. That's not what life's about. And saying no to this vision will start with small practical steps. It'll, it'll start with maybe spending less time reviewing how the stock market's going and more time leading your family in prayer and spending time in the Gospels together. It, it could lead to so many small practical steps. That's just one example. It might be setting aside less of the budget to luxury and comfort and more to you know, pick your Gospel justice course. That's one example of repentance. Another example of repentance is saying no to the things, saying no to things in order to, to have fellowship with fellow Christians, whether it be on a Sunday morning on a fellowship group. Maybe that will one day require saying no to a job that will require too much time being away from Christian family, even though the money might be so good. It might be saying no to a certain shift if that's possible. We are all on this pilgrimage, this journey together, where the singing pilgrims. And if we're to get to the end, we need each other. Um, I'm, I'm giving examples of what repentance might look like. There are so many, I could give so many, but um, raising our children in the faith will require prioritizing certain things in their lives and our own lives and saying no to certain things doing all we can as parents to help our children establish strong Christian friends is so key to their journey. And so, for instance, saying no on behalf of our children to things on a Friday night when Attic is, is running, which is all about, you know, helping youth make strong friendships for life, saying no to other things on Friday nights, that's really hard. And saying no to the world frequently hurts. So Emily Dickinson, she wrote a poem called Renunciation, the Piercing Virtue. I think that just sums it up so well. Renunciation, the Piercing Virtue. Leaving things behind is going to be difficult. So thinking back to, to Hafdan, the migrant from Cambodia, him and his family left their farm, their livelihood, their village and friends in Cambodia, but it was a renunciation, a no, that was driven by a bigger yes. Which leads us to point three, the direction that discipleship takes. So if the Christian life, the journey of faith, starts with a thorough dissatisfaction with the way the world is, 
And if it requires that we continually repent, saying no to the world to stay on the path of faith, what direction are we going in? If we're saying no to something, what are we saying yes to? So in the psalm, we get a hint of the direction the psalmist is taking. So psalm, uh, verse 6. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The direction the disciple of Jesus takes, the longing that they have is for peace. One commentator writes about this psalm, peace, shalom, which is a Hebrew word for peace, is the central idea or issue of the psalm. Shalom is the wholeness of life when we live lives knit into the fabric of relatedness to God and others and the world. It is the at-oneness that makes for goodness. The pilgrim's distress in the psalm comes from having to live without shalom. So, a no to the empty display and false values of the world, to use the words of the prayer book, is a yes to this kind of shalom. Peace. A shalom which undoes the lies that grip our world, where the relationships we have don't have rips down the center. That's this is this shalom that it's referring to, where the oppressed are lifted up and the proud are brought back to ground. Peace which is mentioned in passing in this particular psalm of ascent, is the, the theme of peace is woven throughout the psalms of ascent. And so um, the, the theme of peace reaches its crescendo as we get to Psalm 134, which is the final psalm of ascent. Ultimately, a desire for this wholeness, this peace, is a desire for the kingdom of God which is actually a desire for God himself. So the no's that we continually need to make in the world are all about releasing us to pursue a freedom that is so much better. Whatever it is that you need to renounce, to use that older word, to renounce along the way, however costly, however painful, we need to remember where Jesus' journey of ascent took him up the hill of Golgotha. He renounced his life so that forever there might be a divine yes, a divine yes pulling us forward along the path. Jesus faced a no on our behalf so that we might know, not N-O, but know, for our lifelong journey, that there is a yes in capital letters awaiting us, the Father's embrace, the kingdom of peace and wholeness and goodness. That's where we're going. And so to close, we return to the migrant experience. Their stories are often mixed parts of escape and adventure, the escape from an unpleasant situation and the adventure of, at least hoping for, a far better way of life, free for new things. Every Christian has a story like this to tell. Discipleship is a no to the empty display and false values of the world and a yes.
yes to God, the God of peace, the God of goodness, the God of life. And so when the three youths were baptized those couple of months ago, the congregation joined in saying, fight bravely under Christ's banner against sin, the world, and the devil, and continue his faithful soldier and servant to your life's end. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you walked the path before us, that you walked the hill, and that you took on yourself sin and death, our enemies. And with that, you put it to death. You faced no on our behalf. Father, we thank you that we can walk this life, this pilgrimage of faith, this, this life of discipleship, apprenticeship. That we, we thank you that we can walk it in, in full assurance that we are your children, that your yes is all over us, that your kingdom is our future, a kingdom of wholeness, peace, and justice, that you have graciously, as a gift, called us in. Father, we pray that you help us live lives that are devoted to you, that are clear-minded and sticking to the path. Father, we, we pray that we can do this together to encourage each other along the way. In the name of Christ, Amen.